The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. in New York, and here is your top five at five. Sticking to his guns, Fed Chairman Jay Powell not ready to sound the alarm over surging prices just yet. His comments to Congress coming up. A bouncy ride for Bitcoin, the crypto going negative on the year, but only for a moment. We'll track the very latest on the crypto sector next tech under fire. The sector getting hit from all sides as lawmakers weigh a handful of new bills designed to hit them where it hurts. Antitrust sentiment in D.C. not doing much to hurt one big tech name, and it just happened to join Apple in the $2 trillion club yesterday. And call it a Sin City rebound. A $4 billion new beginning happening today in Vegas. It is your top trending story on this Wednesday, June 23rd, and this is Worldwide Exchange. Well, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, and welcome from wherever in the world you may be watching. I'm Brian Sullivan. Thanks once again for joining us. And here's the question. Will it be three in a row for the markets and maybe your money after last week's scare, which... I tweeted I thought may have been caused as much by quadruple witching on Friday as all the Fed talk. The markets are bouncing back. In fact, we're up the last two days in futures. They are higher once again. Not a lot. Dow up 61. NASDAQ basically flat, but slightly in the green. But still, they are higher. The S&P 500 continues to power higher. It is now up 7% this quarter. And if you're not paying attention, energy, the sector, the XLE, etc., on pace for its best first half to a year ever, going all the way back to its creation of 44%. Wow. Well, big tech, also a big part of this. Google, Microsoft, Adobe, they're all sitting at record highs. We'll get much more on those moves in just a minute. But one name not getting a lot of love this year is Apple. Obviously, for years, high flying now, basically up 1%, kind of flat year to date. It's on pace for its weakest beginning to a year since all the way back in 2016 when it lost more than 9% from January through the end of June. There's still time. June is not over yet, but the clock is kind of running down. We're watching you, Apple. All right, now to a few of your key headlines this Wednesday morning, including the very latest on the battle over potential billion-dollar Alzheimer's drug. Christina Partsonevelis is here now with those. Good morning, Christina. Good morning, Brian. So you have U.S. agencies right now saying they've seized more than 30 websites linked to Iran just days after that country held a vote to install Ibrahim Raisi as its next president. Blocked site domains included those operated by government-run press TV, as well as social media channels affiliated with Iran-backed militias operating in Iraq. The move comes as the Biden administration is in the midst of new negotiations over Tehran's nuclear program. 
One of the largest labor unions in the United States will vote tomorrow on a sweeping plan to organize Amazon's warehouse workers and drivers. The International Brotherhood of Teamsters is gathering this week for its annual convention and will vote on a resolution that aims to make supporting Amazon workers and helping them achieve a union contract a key priority. The vote is in part an initiative called the Amazon Project, where the Teamsters plan to create a special Amazon division within its ranks that will fund and assist workers with organizing. The measure is expected to pass. And new details on the controversial approval by the FDA of Biogen's Alzheimer drug. According to new memos released by the agency, the approval for the first new Alzheimer's drug in decades came over objections by agency statisticians who said clinical trial data fell short of the proof typically required to put a new product on the market. Ultimately, though, the memo said top officials decided the evidence indicating the drug, that the drug worked, while inconclusive, was strong enough to allow doctors and patients to decide for themselves whether to take it. Brian, back to you. Uh, stock up one and a half percent. We are watching that name closely, Christina. We'll see you back here in a few minutes. Thanks. All right. Now, right now, back to your money. Futures, they are higher. Macro markets look to make more and more new highs. Now, the moves and the reasons are many, which we're going to get to in just a moment. But certainly the Fed is all a part of this. And the Fed chair making comments yesterday that he sees actually cooling inflation ahead. I will say that these effects have been larger than we expected, and, and they may turn out to be more persistent than, than we've expected. But the, the, the incoming data are, are very much consistent with, with the, the view that these are, these are factors that will wane over time and that inflation will then move down toward, uh, toward our goals. Other than that, the Fed chair not making a lot of headlines except to say that he thought that the job market would boom in the fall, which caused many people to raise an eyebrow. Either way, let's talk more now about the markets. Joining us, Invesco Global Market Strategist, Brian Levitt. Brian, good to have you back on again yesterday, uh, or, or, today. But yesterday, was there anything the Fed chairman said that caused you to change your macro bullish view longer term? No, there wasn't anything that the Fed chair said that that caused us to change our macro view. I mean, the reality is we're in a good economic backdrop. I know that there's a lot of concern that investors have been having about inflation and and inflationary pressures that was going to hasten Fed tightening. I think the Fed's been very transparent about allowing this to play out over time. I think the Fed believes, as I do, that nothing structural has really changed. You've got a, a moment in time in which there's a lot of demand hitting the market in which businesses had spent a lot of time cutting workers and cutting inventory, and now we've got to rebuild. And so that leads to short-term inflationary pressures. But if nothing structural has changed, you should expect those pressures to moderate um, over the next couple of years. And as your own data shows, coming off of recessions, the market kind of allows for greater valuation. Some people will say, well, the market's overvalued based on the forward price to earnings. But coming out of slowdowns, your data suggests that the market may give higher valuations a pass. Well, it tends to happen, obviously, as the market moves first. So if you think of a price-earnings ratio, the, the denominator takes time. And you know, so the market forecasts the better economic backdrop and a better earnings environment a year ahead. And then you start to wait to see, does the economy and earnings deliver? And certainly it started to. And earnings are likely to boom here. It's a very good economic backdrop. Businesses have been running largely lean. So you should see a very 
good earnings environment. What we've found is, you know, one year after a recession, elevated valuations. And then as companies start to grow into those multiples, you can see very good equity returns, even as multiples are flat or in many instances come down in years two and three of a market cycle. So I advise people to not be overly concerned about valuations. Valuations are not timing tools. And again, companies tend to start growing into those multiples by years two or three of a, of a market cycle. And there's so much cash still sitting on the sidelines. Kind of amazing, despite negative real returns, how much money have gone into bonds really in the last decade or so. We like to sound smart here on CNBC, Brian, and come up with all these fancy reasons why stocks go up, but really they go up when there's more buying pressure than selling pressure. And you think a lot of that cash, $20 trillion by some accounts, may end up going into equities. Yeah, a lot of people worry that that cash is going to go into goods and lead to goods price inflation. I think we we start to shift away from goods to experiences, allowing businesses to rebuild inventories. But we also put allocate that money into markets. As we know, there's been over a trillion into money market strategies, over three trillion into bond strategies. In many instances, or that's not going to get us towards our investing goals in most instances. So that money is likely to find its way more into the equity markets, equity markets have not been overly popular with investors uh, since the 08 financial crisis, which is surprising given the extent of the gains. Uh, so investors aren't euphoric. There's a lot of money on the sidelines. That tends to be um, good indicators for markets. When I start to get concerned is when, in, is when investors are overly euphoric, and, and clearly that is not the case right now. Not overly good runs, but still not overly euphoric. We'll see if that money goes into, you know, boats or stocks. Brian Levitt, always a pleasure to have you on, my friend. Thank you very much. Have a great day. Thank you. Are you welcome? All right, we got a lot to do when we come back. Big tech back under fire. Congress continues to crack down. Could major regulation of Amazon and others be ahead? Plus, new data from Morgan Stanley on COVID 19, the variants. And just how protected the vaccinated population is in the real world. These are numbers you got to hear, and they are good news. Trust us. And later, K-pop band BTS back at it again. This time, what they did not for music, but for McNuggets. It's trending, and it's ahead. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. All right, welcome back. We do it every day. Your big money movers, three key stock stories of the morning. And stock number one, 
a biggie. In fact, getting bigger. Microsoft it has joined an exclusive club, just the second publicly traded U.S. company to reach a market cap of $2 trillion. Microsoft briefly hitting that threshold yesterday before sliding back to close, you know, at the pauper's rate of $1.99 trillion. The milestone comes two years after the company crossed the $1 trillion market cap level. Stock number two, Amazon. Sources say the Federal Trade Commission will review the company's $8.5 billion deal to buy MGM. The agency's new chairwoman, Lena Khan, has been critical of Amazon in the past. And stock number three, Comcast, our parent company, and some good news. Several reports confirming our streaming service, Peacock, will become available on Amazon Fire TV devices beginning today. Comcast says Peacock hit 42 million signups as of. April. All right, still on deck. AAA releasing its list of the most popular destinations over the 4th of July. And the top two? Well, they have one big mountain in common, but maybe not in the mountain way you think. And everybody keeps getting on a plane. Another 2 million people jumped on a plane on Monday. And while, yes, that is lower than the 2019 peak, remember, almost all of these people are flying domestically. Once international travel opens back up, certainly not hard to see we could break all-time records. We'll get a lot more on all this and more in your top trending stories straight ahead. Dow Futures up 56. It's 514 in the morning, and we're back right after this. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. You better hoard the ranch dressing. I mean, just stockpile all the ranch or honey mustard or barbecue, whatever you like, because there has been a massive pop in Chicken McNugget sales. That, plus a massive new casino hitting Vegas, and the top 10 cities that Americans all want to travel to over the 4th of July. Maybe Vegas made the list. Let's find out. Christina Partsenevelis is here now with the numbers and more in today's trending stories. What is your nugget dipping sauce of choice, Christina? Ranch for their chicken nuggets. Um, and I'm not going to continue to comment on that because I don't eat meat. But Wait, did you, just make a, did you just make a gross face? Yeah, I did. Because you, just, you didn't see it. You, it was off camera, and then it showed on camera. It, yeah. Ranch. No, no, I, I saw it. Ranch? Wait. Maybe I should tell this. I get it. You're from Montreal. <laughs> yes, yes. Aren't we don't you? have that in, in Canada. Uh, McDonald's you Philippines, You dip your McNuggets though. in berets. Oh, my gosh. That's the f- French. And wine. Yes, yes. I, we do have wine at a much younger age, though, so we appreciate it more. But <laughs> McDonald's Philippines said it sold almost 3.5 million chicken nuggets today on the launch of the chain's BTS meal in honor of the Korean pop music group. That's 1,000% higher than the normal daily nugget sales, according to the managing director of McDonald's Philippines. The meal is just a 10-piece chicken nuggets with french fries coke and two special dips not sure if it's ranch but the special brown and purple packaging was also considered a collectible by fans 
And the Fens are also known as the Army, by the way. Just in time for summer travel, though, Resorts World Las Vegas opens this week. It's the first new mega casino on the Strip in over a decade and has 40 restaurants and bars, seven swimming pools, and a nightclub, and a shopping mall. The $4.3 billion venue also hosts three hotels under its roof with a total of 3,500 rooms. And AAA releasing its list of the most popular U.S. destinations for July 4th travel with more than 47 million Americans expect to set off over the holiday week. Topping the list, Orlando, Florida. Just after that, the other Disney city, Anaheim, which is your uh, Brian's joke about the, the mountains, followed by Denver, Las Vegas, and Seattle. New York came in at number seven, Boston at number nine, and Kahului in Maui rounded out the top ten. What do you think, Brian? So do you, do you know the mountain pun that I was yeah, referring yeah, Disney, to? Yeah, the mountain in the back. Yeah. I, I, What's the mountain called? Uh, oh, sorry. Not Earth Mountain. Space Mountain. <laughs> Correct. I just said something. Yeah, I knew that. C'est vrai. Oui, c'est vrai. C'est vrai. Well, I, guess, I guess, listen, if you're a Disney stockholder, that list is very good news. Oh, yeah. The stock's been doing very Because you well. know what also they love? You know what they love, I'm told, in Ranch Orlando? Ranch on their chicken nuggets? Ranch dressing. Who doesn't? By the way, this is a Twitter poll that is ready to happen. And I don't want to, I want to make sure our viewers to the north, je pense Montreal que on vit incroyable. Okay, je pense français un peu. Oh, mon Dieu, So right. I want to say I tu love Montreal. You just told everybody that you think Montreal is a great city. I did? Yeah. I thought I said I really like ranch dressing in oh, French. Oh, got to work on that. Oh, gosh, a comedian on the side, aren't you? Not sure on the side. Just when you get, you know, two hours of sleep a night, this is what happens. Christina Parts and Evelos, we're going to see you in uh, un moment. Au bientôt. A bientôt. Maintenant. Now. Thank you. <laughs> Let's get a check on this morning's other top headlines. I think I scared her, including a stunning finish. To last night's NBA playoff game, NBC's Philip Mena is in New York now with more. But before we get to the Suns finish, if you were to, ha- if I bought you McNuggets, <laughs> a would you get a dipping sauce, and b if so, what kind? Uh, I'm a sweet and sour sort of dude, man. Okay, I can see that. Sweet and sour Fits. all the way. It's, it's another choice. Why not? You know, barbecue. I guess too. Can't go wrong with that. Honey mustard. It depends on where it's from. It gets tricky with the honey mustard. You know, some have more honey than mustard. That's deep. We could go, exactly, we can go on and on with that. All right, so good morning to everyone here. Uh, Let's talk about the Democrats. They are vowing to fight on after Republicans blocked a sweeping election reform bill that would expand access to the ballot box. Now, that vote was straight down party lines, 50 Democratic votes in favor of advancing the For the People Act, and 50 nays from the GOP. President Biden called it, quote, suppression of a bill to end voter suppression, adding that he will have more to say about this next week. And the dust is still settling after primary day in the New York City mayoral campaign. It was the city's first ever ranked choice election that lets voters select and rank as many as five candidates. And according to preliminary results, Brooklyn Borough President Eric Adams has the lead with roughly 31 percent of the vote. Former 2020 presidential contender Andrew Yang was the first to drop out, conceding after winning about 11 percent of the vote. And here's uh, the game we were talking about, a last second shot for the ages 
in the NBA playoffs. Paul George thought he had the dagger to even up the series with that jumper late in the fourth, but this alley-oop from DeAndre Ayton, he threw it down in the final second. It's just an amazing play. It was very controversial. I thought it was goaltending. Turns out it's not. The Suns are now up 2 to nothing in the series. They win it by 1, 104 to 103. But, Brian, Paul George had an opportunity at the end. Uh, we did not show. He missed two free throws uh, that could have kind of sealed it for the Clippers. Missed them both. Yeah, it's tough there. But listen, hey, hey, in other news, our Rockets, they got the second pick in the NBA draft behind <laughs> Detroit. So maybe things are looking up in H-Town. Something to look forward to. Yeah, exactly, Brian. That's all Sweet we can do now. Sweet and sour mena. Thank you very much, my friend. We'll see you soon. Take care. <laughs> right, We're going to settle this once and for all. <laughs> all right. He's like, why? All right, straight ahead. Return to the office? Not if you're not vaccinated. The big move that one major Wall Street firm is making that is getting a lot of attention. We're back right after this. Dow Futures up 45. Big tech beloved once again. A few big stocks helping surge the markets higher. Futures are up, all while the cryptos, they continue to roll craps. Speaking of big tech, three of the sector's biggest names speaking out against a series of antitrust bills set for debate today. Lon Moy is here to break down the legislation that could break up these companies. And breaking through the noise on COVID vaccines and variants. Your morning RBI lays out the numbers. Top-ranked analyst Matthew Harrison makes sense of it all. These are numbers you're going to want to hear. It is Wednesday, June 23rd, and this is Worldwide Exchange. All right, welcome or welcome back, and good, uh, what is it, Wednesday? Good Wednesday morning, everybody, 526 of the East Coast. Thanks for joining us. Why don't we set up your market day? In this rundown, we're hitting stocks, we're hitting crypto, and we're hitting oil. First up, stock futures. This coming off another good day for the major averages. The NASDAQ and the NASDAQ 100 are at record highs once again. That's right. In fact, yesterday, eight new names hitting new highs, including some names you know. Google, a.k.a. Alphabet, Microsoft, Adobe, and thus five others. Now, meantime, in the drama known as crypto, Bitcoin, it has been very, very choppy lately and another bonkers day on Tuesday. In fact, our friends at Bespoke Investment Group note that yesterday, just yesterday, Bitcoin had a 10% drop followed by a 10% bounce. It is now up 1600 to 34.032. Can you imagine if stocks fell 10% and then came back 10%? I don't mean the meme stocks. I mean like the S&P 500 Pretty stunning volatility for Bitcoin. And also, let's check the price of oil right now as well. We are just about one week away from that big OPEC meeting next Thursday. WTI crude continues to inch higher. We're at 73.46 a barrel. And there is something to watch. A little, call it WBI, wonky but interesting. And that is the huge spread. And what we're showing you is this. It is the spread between oil contracts three months out and four months out. And we're seeing that huge pop between the two. You're thinking, there's a lot of squiggly lines. What does that mean? Well, what that means in those oil contracts is that some investors are making or thinking we're going to have inventories that could tighten a lot. They may be making big bets on that 
as well as, dare I say, higher prices. Again, oil already up, big bets in oil contracts, signaling tighter inventories, and maybe higher prices ahead. That OPEC meeting kicking off on July 1st. All right, a lot more to do there, but we'll get that right now. Back to some of this morning's other top stories, including, and this is sure to be controversial, one big bank taking new steps around vaccinations, mandated vaccinations for its workers. Christina is back with the details on this. Christina, you know this story is going to get a lot of attention. Oh, of course, of course. And Morgan Stanley is the company that behind it has told its staff that workers who are not vaccinated against COVID will be barred from returning to its New York metropolitan area offices. The rule, though, which takes effect July 12th, will also apply to clients. So that's a big change, too. Morgan Stanley says that workers will also be required to certify their vaccination status by July 1st. Employees who are not fully vaccinated will have to continue working remotely. The move follows similar actions by other financial giants. And since we're talking about vaccines, social media app Nextdoor is teaming up with Moderna and grocery store chain Albertsons to help boost vaccination rates. The CEO of the app, which offers a digital public message board for neighborhoods, telling Jim Kramer on Mad Money last night her company is rolling on a vaccine map feature. It will allow users to locate jab sites and schedule an appointment. An alphabet is reportedly set to face fresh antitrust action from a group of state attorneys general. According to Reuters, the suit is being led by Utah, Tennessee, North Carolina and New York and could come as early as next week. It's focused on complaints from app developers over Google's management of its Play Store for Android devices. Brian? Yeah, big, big name there. And by the way, a name that follows into our next story as well. Christina, thank you very much. So why don't we stay there and on antitrust action, potentially against big tech, Google, the aforementioned Amazon and Facebook are speaking out against a series of six new bills that could ultimately try to break up these companies that the House Judiciary Committee is beginning to set to debate on today. Apple and Microsoft, which would also be targeted by the measures, have not released statements. Lon Moy joining us now with more on what exactly is in these bills and who they might be targeting. Elon, good morning. Well, good morning, Brian. You're right. Congress is coming after big tech today with a slew of bills that, taken together, could topple America's tech titans. The House Judiciary Committee will consider them one by one. And the target is clear. Companies with a market cap of $600 billion or more and 50 million U.S. users or that serve at least 100,000 businesses every month. Now, only a handful of companies actually meet all those criteria, and they are Apple, Microsoft, Amazon, Alphabet, and Facebook, and they are fighting back. Now, we did reach out to the companies for comment. We heard back from most of them, as well as from the other industry groups, and there are some similarities in their responses. Though we are still waiting on Apple and Microsoft, however, what we can tell you is that the companies say that popular services like Google Maps and Amazon Basics could be threatened. Small businesses could become collateral damage. Facebook even warned about national security implications from competitors like TikTok. But the whole reason that lawmakers split this package into six different bills was to try to defuse that opposition. For example, data portability may be a bigger issue for Facebook than for Amazon. That piecemeal approach also gives lawmakers more skin in the game. Each one of these bills has both a Democrat and a Republican co-sponsor. Representative David Cicilline, who has been leading this charge, told us that America is in a monopoly moment and that there's bipartisan support for building a stronger online economy. Brian. 
All right. So, Ilan, uh, I'm just thinking back to that schoolhouse rock. I'm just a bill and trying to remember what the process is. And then he didn't get it. And then he got it. And he was happy. What happens after today? Do these bills go to the floor? Where does the Senate stand? What can you tell us about the way maybe some in the Senate may be thinking about this? Yeah, so the first thing that has to happen is that these bills need to get out of committee. We're expecting the debate today to last for several hours. And, you know, we'll see if all six of these actually do uh, make it out of committee and then they would go to the House floor. Um, Still unclear whether or not they would get a vote on the floor, even if they did make it there. But to your point, Brian, you know, it takes two chambers of Congress to pass a bill. And right now there is no companion legislation in the Senate. So Even though this has been a 16-month process in the House, they've done some deep investigations, 10 hearings, CEOs called before Congress, unclear if this is actually going to go anywhere or get passed anytime soon. Now, very quickly, Alon, if I were to say throw up a list of the top lobbying money in Washington, D.C., would any of the big tech companies' names potentially appear, methinks? Yeah, absolutely. The big tech industry, the tech industry overall, not just big tech, but they have been you know, big spenders in Washington in recent years. All of these companies have uh, offices in D.C. employing not just their own lobbyists, but also uh, contracting with other K Street firms as well in order to fight these types of efforts. The hope amongst Democrats and amongst Republicans, too, is that by going after each different bill, targeting a slightly different piece of the pie, uh, some part of it can survive and that the whole thing wouldn't get taken down uh, Mm. by the industry overall. Yeah, I mean, the lobbyists might have lobbyists here. Big fight straight ahead with billions, maybe trillions on the line. Alon Moy, thank you very much. All right. Well, in very different Amazon news, Their big Prime Days event just wrapping up. But according to Adobe Analytics, the first day drew in the most online spending ever over a 24-hour period this year, with Monday alone surpassing $5.6 billion. But here's the thing that is, I guess, random but interesting. Prime Day just wasn't good for Amazon. Adobe actually says many other retailers got a boost from Amazon's Prime Day. Let's find out why and talk more about it. Charlie O'Shea, VP and Senior Credit Officer at Moody's, joining us now wonder why that is, Charlie. I mean, people looking for something on Amazon and realize they don't have it, but they want it. So they go somewhere else and get it. Brian, I think that's definitely an issue at this point. I think that what Amazon could be considered to be a, a victim of its own success. They built this online autobahn and anybody can get on it now. And with the pandemic, we've seen consumers, you know, testing a lot of different retailers online capability. And one of the things that we noticed, and, you know, we thought this would happen for a long time, has been that the buy online pickup and store phenomenon and capability for the retailers is compelling for a consumer if they want something quickly. One of the issues that Amazon's having is the sheer volume has become almost a detriment in some cases because the shipping delays start to hit. And brick and mortar doesn't have to worry about that so much because they can offer a buy online pickup option for the consumer if they want it faster. Yeah, I mean, it it truly is amazing as well. And I know Prime Day is a big deal and we can get into Amazon and their brands. And some people say they just don't have the name brands that they used to have. You're looking for the big name brands. A lot of times they're not available on Amazon or they're sold through a third party shipper. Or maybe to your point, Charlie, there are delays. Overall, however, how do you think Prime Day is going to stack up for Amazon 
doesn't really move the needle. Amazon's become kind of a, and they would hate this term, almost a, a utility for shopping in some cases. Well, I think that there's a lot to be said there. I think that is an important Amazon. Yeah, it absolutely is. Because one of the key one of the key advantages for Amazon is that steady prime shopper base. And the other key advantage for Amazon is that whenever you're going to do a search, and let's be practical here, you're going to start at the Amazon site. And you know, maybe five, 10 years ago, you stopped at the Amazon site and that mm. was it. Recently, you know, not so recently, but we've seen consumers moving and, and you know, testing Amazon, you know, going to the Walmart site, going to Best Buy, going to Target, going to wherever you, you think, depending on what you're buying, and testing price, testing, you know, speed of delivery. And in Amazon's case, what we saw again during the pandemic was a lot of delays, a yeah. lot of out of stocks, potentially rationing that they did early during the pandemic. And the consumers actually tried out something else. And maybe liked it. And maybe now they're not starting on the Amazon site like they used to. Maybe they're starting at Walmart or, or Costco or Target or Best Buy. And that's an issue for Amazon. That said, Prime Day, it is. Whether, whether they make or lose money really doesn't matter. Um, you know, it's a promotional event. It gets a lot of buzz. And I think that's more important than the actual, you know, dollars and cents that come out of this. Yeah. And a lot of browsers now putting in, embedded in through the, you know, Honey and some of these other purchases, these discounts and coupons in the browser that kind of lead you in other directions as well. Could be a bigger fight for Amazon ahead. Charlie O'Shea Moody's. Charlie, have a great day. Great points. Take care. Thanks, Brian. All right, coming up here on WEX, top-ranked biotech analyst Matthew Harrison standing by to separate the fact from the fiction over concerns on vaccine slowdowns, variants, and more. But as we head to break, some of your other top stories, including Warby Parker taking the first steps to go public. The eyeglass brand revealing is confidentially filed for an IPO, saying it will take place once the SEC completes the review process. The final round of the U.S. Open Golf Tournament proving to be a big hit. Sunday's final round averaged nearly 6 million viewers. Wow. Most viewed golf event on NBC since 2018. And South Korea's answer to Robinhood and maybe Venmo becoming one of the world's most valuable financial technology startups with this latest fundraising round. Viva Republica, which operates the TOSS app, raising $406 million and lands it a $7 billion valuation. You go, TOSS. Dow futures up 61, Bitcoin up 1,200. We're back right after this. Well, today's RBI has to do with vaccines and so-called breakthrough cases. Those are people that are fully vaccinated and yet still contract COVID. You no doubt have heard about it. They tend to get a lot of headlines when there's a cluster or some bad outcome. One headline a month ago said, breakthrough infections, should you be worried? It's all scary stuff, but this may help. More data that indicates just how very rare breakthrough cases are and even rarer how much we have negative outcomes like hospitalizations or worse. As of the last study from 46 states, we know that only about 0.1% of COVID cases are from those who have been vaccinated, i.e. the vaccines appear about 99.9% effective. But CDC data released a few days ago and cited by Morgan Stanley Research yesterday is even more impressive. As of June 14th, there have been 3,808 breakthrough infections that have led to hospitalizations or fatalities. 
And while we want everyone to stay safe and healthy, that number, 3,808, is, are you ready for this, just 0.0026% of all vaccinated people. Not 0.26%, Is that zero risk? No, but it's not far off. And that's even with the so-called Delta variant, which is spreading wildly. So if you have been vaccinated, take comfort for now that the numbers, anyway, the math is on your side, even with some scary headlines. It always does come back to science and simple math. Random, but hopefully interesting. All right, let's talk more now about that and vaccinations, breakthrough cases, flare-ups, etc. not just in the U.S., but around the world as well. And bring in the gentleman whose numbers I just cited, Matthew Harrison, head of biotech industry research at Morgan Stanley, working tirelessly for about a year and a half now. Uh, Matthew, thank you very much. And, you know, uh, I used your data and the CDC data because I felt that it was important to note that while the headlines are scary right now, it does appear that with at least maybe MNRA vaccines, that breakthrough, very negative outcomes are very rare, correct? Yeah, it does seem vaccines are performing just the way they have in clinical trials and real world data so far. And I think that is that is a good sign. I mean, even data from Public Health England um, has cited mRNA vaccines north of 80 percent protection against symptomatic infection, where they have about 90 percent of their new cases coming from the Delta variant. And there are some very concerning numbers out of the UK, Matthew. We are seeing cases and hospitalizations are on the rise. Do you believe, though, that that uptick, because we often compare the US to the UK, right, for many reasons. Do you think there's more hospitalizations there in some cases because in their vaccines, maybe AstraZeneca or others, might be slightly less effective? Or are we going to follow their path higher? I think if you look at the data, a, a, a lot of the rise in cases there is actually not coming from vaccinated individuals. It's coming still from the individuals that are not vaccinated. And even though there is a high rate of vaccination in the UK, just like the US, there is a proportion of the population that isn't vaccinated. Um, and the Delta variant appears to have uh, highly infectious qualities. And, and so that leads to more infections in the non-vaccinated population. And then I think maybe a a second piece, which is important to note is uh, the UK prioritized first doses over both doses. And so they may have a proportion of the population that has only had first doses of their vaccine. Um, And it looks like the the protection against the Delta variant there, at least for symptomatic infection, is is somewhat modest, uh, Mm -hmm. probably below 50%. Okay, because we have looked to the UK in some cases because they were more vaccinated as a percentage of of the population than us. But there are some key differences, it sounds like, between them and us. Matthew, can you also comment on this big slowdown in vaccinations in the United States, but also, thankfully, a huge drop in cases. We're about to go below 10,000 if we haven't already on a seven day moving average. Yeah, um, I'm I guess I would say, you know, look, you want more people vaccinated for a variety of reasons. Um, We'll have to see what happens as the Delta variant becomes a greater proportion of cases in the U.S. Right now, it's only sort of between 10 and and 20 percent, depending on the data you look at. Um, I think the thing I'm watching is, is there going to be a difference in outbreak patterns in states that are highly vaccinated, say, you know, New York, which has greater than 70 percent vaccination versus 
a state like Mississippi or Louisiana, which only has about 35 percent vaccinated. So we'll have to see what happens. Um, but I would say more broadly, right, lower levels of vaccination still leave us open to outbreaks, especially in the unvaccinated group. So it would it would be great if we could get that number higher. Is there, is there any indication in your early data, Matthew, not to put you on the spot about uh, tracking that that, you know, the relationship between the states? Because actually, if you go, I know this is a very unpopular thing to say. If you go back and just run the data as I have and you have and everybody else for the last year and a half uh, on cases and mortalities, the difference between the states is actually not that great, depending on any metric. Are you seeing any variance? Uh, bad word, I guess, between the different states and vaccination rates? Um, I, I think I think we don't have enough data to really say anything specific right now. I, I, I think what we're seeing is, you know, you may see a slight uptake in some of the lower vaccinated states, but it's not um, it's not so large right now that you can definitely um, assign it to vaccination differences. OK, now we look around the world, Matthew, Latin America, parts of continental Africa, they are seeing, as, as you've written in your report yesterday, oh, by the way, always a must read, excellent stuff, uh, a concerning rise. Are we seeing any indication of a global vaccination rollout? India looks better, but there's still billions of people that have not been vaccinated. Yeah, it's, it's still going to it's still going to take time. Um, the obviously more doses are being made and 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 COVAX and some of those facilities are getting more doses to distribute. But it's going to take well into 2022 um, to get more vaccines into people globally. And and frankly, that's important because while you have a lot of replication velocity and a lot of um, outbreak in, in other areas, you potentially see more mutations, which which could be concerning for places in the U.S. Obviously, it's not a foregone conclusion, but um, that's why it's important outside of the sort of the you know public health and and humanitarian issues in each of the countries. That's why it's important globally um, to be able to vaccinate. Yeah, it certainly is for, for a variety of reasons from a humanitarian perspective, economic perspective, just a global health perspective. Matthew Harrison, always appreciate your perspective. Must read on the research there. You guys have been doing your whole team has been doing great work, Matthew. Thank you for coming on. Appreciate it. Thanks very much. Are you welcome? All right. On deck, Fed Chair Powell downplaying the inflation threat yet again. What does G squared private wealth as Victoria Green think about that? She'll tell you and give you a couple stock picks as well. And a reminder, a gentle nudge, if you haven't already, follow our podcast. If you miss a show any day, check it out on Apple, Spotify, and others. Dow Futures up 77. And June, of course, is Pride Month. All month long, we're spotlighting CNBC contributors, business leaders, and our CNBC colleagues as well. Here is CNBC's Shepard Smith. My advice to LGBTQ people coming up is be yourself. Never be afraid of or ashamed of how you feel. And don't let anybody make you afraid. Tell the truth. Live your truth. You be you. And the future is so bright. All right, welcome back, and let's get back now to the markets. Fed Chair Jay Powell downplaying fears of return to 1970s-style inflation, although admitting it has been more persistent than he had anticipated. But your next guest says that's providing an opportunity 
for you. Victoria Green is the chief investment officer of G-Squared Private Wealth. Victoria, welcome back. What do you mean by that? Where's the opportunity here? Well, I think he's saying that a lot of the inflation is going to be transitory. So everybody's been saying inflation's the boogeyman. It's going to derail everything. Uh, prices are going to get too high, 1970s, 1980s redux. But we really don't think it's going to be that way. You know, a lot of people are pointing to the semiconductor shortages right now. But honestly, in uh, April, they produced 100 billion units versus 73 billion. And they're actually increasing demand and increasing supply to meet demand. And so some of the shortage is just is honestly transitory. We bought more electronics than we've ever bought before. You have some people upgrading iPhones and, and phones for the 5G networks. Uh, we're all stuck at home. So we bought, you know, multiple different types of electronics. Uh, and they're just seeing the shortage just kind of uh, bleed into the market. But you have ramped up uh, supply. So a little bit, we're looking to the lumber market as a, as a hint for that. That because lumber obviously had that huge spike and then has come back down to earth as sawmills ramped up uh, supply and as also as demand kind of naturally curtailed itself on the high prices. So seeing uh, inflation as more transitory means that it might not be this this horrible event that everybody is anticipating it could be. You know what hasn't been horrible? Energy. In fact, the opposite. Thanks to our, our crack data team here, Victoria, I can make, give you this stat and make it sound like it's my own. The energy sector has its best start to a year ever. It's up 44% in 2021. I know you've liked Chevron. I think you've owned it for a long time. But are you starting to get a little nervous? I mean, how much more does this run have in the proverbial tank, I guess? $100 oil, baby. It's coming back. I mean, that's what everybody's looking at. You know, you even look at the options markets and the number of calls on $100 barrel oil. Uh, you're looking at uh, even Total and uh, Shell came out yesterday, got on board with a lot of analysts, traders, and banks that are saying $100 oil might be coming. Uh, it's a very constrained supply. Uh, and Chevron's a great example. You know, their 14 billion capital expenditures is 35% less than 2019. So you're seeing all of this supply being constrained, not just by OPEC Plus, but also by uh, just a reduction in capital capital expenditures by oil and gas. So you're going to see this as demand perks up, which it has. I mean, gosh, look at airports. Uh, I don't know if you've been to a national park recently. They're all packed. You know, everybody's back on the road. Everybody's traveling. So you're seeing demand certainly ramp up quickly. And supply just doesn't ramp up just as fast. So I think you're going to see energy in a nice sweet yeah. spot here, as well as energy does well in an inflationary environment. It's one of the top performing and highly correlated sectors with uh, CPI. Victoria, last week, it took me an hour and a half to go from Houston Airport in a rental car to downtown, the 610. I could have, I could have walked faster. The traffic is out of control. It's the year of the traffic jam. Free cash flows are up quickly. Are there any other oil and gas names you like besides Chevron, or is that really the pick? No, there's some others if you're more aggressive. The EMP space, like uh, Diamondback or Devon, and some of those guys are really great. Um, you know, we certainly want to make sure we're still investing with quality companies and we're not just uh, pure speculators. So those places in EMPs to do well, as, as you see more and more supply come back online, we're awaiting reports today. It's expected to be a big, uh, big draw on U.S. stockpiles again, which, again, you're seeing oil prices rise this morning. So certainly look yeah. around the markets. You know, Exxon's done well. Conoco's done well. Um, a little bit less on my European majors over there, but uh, certainly bullish on yeah. U.S. oil. Yeah. Big names there. Victoria Green, the year of the traffic jam. Victoria, we appreciate your insights as always. Thank you very much. Have a great day. 
And like that, Worldwide Exchange is over. We will see you tomorrow. Squawk and the gang pick up the coverage next. Futures up. Bitcoin is up. Oil is up. Thanks for being up and watching us. We'll see you tomorrow. Take care. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.